0: Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and help those leaders co-create a thriving future. I am a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating leadership and transforming organizations. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have our returning guest, Greg Moran. Greg is a C-level digital strategy and change leadership executive with extensive global operations experience. He led corporate strategy for Ford and designed a plan that Alan Mulale used to turn around the company. He's held C-level IT positions at Ford, Nationwide Insurance, Bank One, J.P. Morgan Chase, respectively. During this session, we're going to be talking about seven leadership mindsets and behaviors required for organizations to transform. And more specifically, we're going to talk about leaders moving from the mindset of being an expert in their field to more of the mindset of a scientist. So in times that are in constant flux, we as experts can't rely on our expertise, and we can't rely on our former benchmarks and best practices. We are in fact creating them as we go. So Greg and I are going to talk about how that is applying in his organization, and how I'm using it with my clients. So, Greg, welcome.
1: It's great to be here again, Maureen, and thank you very much for having me. You know, before we begin, you mentioned Ford Motor Company, and I thought I'd just share a funny factoid. Ford has announced its new CEO, who will be taking the reins of the company on October 1st of this year. His name is Jim Farley, and when I was at Ford, he was the head of sales and marketing. The interesting factoid is Jim Farley is actually Chris Farley, the comedian's cousin. Oh, really? And and actually has very similar (laughs) facial features. So, uh, your listeners can check that out. It's just a weird coincidence, but uh, he's a great executive, and I'm sure he'll do well with Ford.
0: So, does he have the same sense of humor?
1: Um, not in the context that we worked. He may be a very <laughs> funny guy, but of course we were working together rather than mm-hmm. trying to be funny together. So But back to the topic of today. You know, my my company is in the collaboration business. We provide software a company's named Aware and we provide software that really makes it possible for large enterprises to support their employees better with next generation collaboration platforms mm-hmm. like Microsoft Teams like Yammer like Workplace from Facebook and Slack. Mm-hmm. And uh we provide both the tools that let the company do the things it always has to do like follow regulatory requirements and provide security and those sorts of things mm-hmm. but also provides insights around what employees are doing and how they're feeling things like sentiment and trending topics and so you know just as a to set the context for this Just since the beginning of COVID, some of the things that we've seen from our client companies, the messages being sent on these platforms that I mentioned, the mean percent change is up 159%. So, you know, more than doubling. Uh The max we've seen is over 1,300% increase in messages. The number of active authors inside of a company has gone up by 91%, so almost doubled. And the, the highest change we've seen there is over 800% increase in the number of authors. And then the number of files being shared has gone up by a mean percentage of 127, 127%, but the max is over 1,000%. And what this says to me is we're collaborating more than ever in some very different ways than ever. And I think that there's some real insight in that for leaders as they, as you point out, think about how do I have to change as a leader? How do I have to lead differently to be effective in this what we'll call new environment Mm -hmm. that we're operating in? But this new environment may not persist in its current form. It will evolve, mm-hmm. but I don't think it'll ever evolve to the way that we were prior to COVID-19.
0: I think that is such a relevant point, and I'm seeing people right now start to come to that realization that they thought by now we would be back to work and sitting in our desks or our cubes or whatever and it looks like more and more companies are announcing that this work from anywhere approach will persist for a portion of their workforce potentially long term.
1: Yeah, I noticed Google has announced that they're in this mode until at least July of next year and I I believe they did that so that their people could make decisions for their lives, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you could ask the question, why would you project that far into the future? I think they were doing that to settle down some of the concerns of their employees Mm -hmm. and to give their employees the flexibility to potentially – you know, leave their leases behind and go move Mm -hmm. somewhere else that might be more meaningful to them as a family or might be less Mm -hmm. costly for them. And Google's assuring them you'll be fine working in that mode wherever you are. And that is just, I think, the beginning of that happening across the board. And then those companies that do begin to come back to work, as you say, won't do it the same way.
0: And that not doing it the same way gives them a competitive advantage over those who will
1: be more restrictive. Absolutely. I think those companies that do it a different way and do it in a way that better meets the needs of Mm -hmm. their potential talent pool Mm -hmm. are absolutely going to be winners in this.
0: Well, and one of the things we're hearing, or I'm hearing, I, I run a CEO group, among other things, is now that people are working from home... How do we make sure that they're actually getting the work done? Initially, everyone was just rushing to get home, and it looked like the productivity was actually higher in many cases. How do we ensure we sustain that? And the work aware's doing, I think, really helps address engagement without monitoring keystrokes so you, you don't have big brother with the, turning the camera on to see what you're doing on your screen and what you're wearing in
1: your workplace. First of all, I agree with that a lot. I think the answer is not monitoring keystrokes and eyeball attention and the sort of things they do for proctoring exams is probably Mm -hmm. not the right technology to apply to ensure productivity. In fact, I believe it will work against companies from an Mm -hmm. engagement standpoint in a big way, and in some ways probably hurt productivity. We, as you point out, like to look at how people are collaborating and the work they're producing Mm -hmm. and who they're talking to and how they're feeling about being supported by their company. We start from the premise, and I think it is valid that most people want to earn their paycheck Mm -hmm. and want to earn their paycheck at a company that they've chosen to work for and believe in the mission of, right? Mm -hmm. Very few of us stay very long at a company we don't believe in. It's just how we're wired, right? And I think there might be brief periods of time where somebody Mm -hmm. might want to take advantage of a company while they look for another job. But in my experience, that always works out better if you're just talking to each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and people who struggled, and and I realize there are people who are better at home and better at work. And so some people working from home are actually more effective. So I do acknowledge that there are those Mm -hmm. distinctions. But I think for the most part, if people were performing poorly in the office, they're likely to perform poorly at home. And those people who are really exceptional are going to find a way to be exceptional at home, but it may look very different. If they're teaching three kids because they're a single parent, the hours of working will vary, but their dedication should not.
1: I think one of the trends I've I've seen emerge already, which I think is relatively early, is companies are finding at the large enterprise level mm-hmm. – That they did have a fair amount of dead wood in the organization. It's actually easier to hide in plain sight at a big company Mm -hmm. when you're all coming to the office than it is when you're not. Anecdotally, heard Mm -hmm. examples at the executive level Mm -hmm. and at the frontline level where they have realized that somebody was coming into the office every day, but they didn't really know what they did, but they assumed somebody else did. Mm -hmm. know what they did. Right. And so (laughs) nobody confronted it. And in this scenario, they're finding there's questions get asked like that. Like, what Mm -hmm. does what does Joe do? Well, I don't know what Joe does. I thought you knew what Joe did, right? Well, none of us seems to know what Joe does, right?
0: So how does that come up in the work-from-home environment? How are the leaders identifying it?
1: I think it's because people are actually having to participate Mm. in a way that doesn't often happen in the office. When you think about a Zoom call versus a conference room, Mm -hmm. right, the dynamics of it are really different. It's odd if somebody doesn't say anything on a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's less odd if somebody doesn't say anything in a conference room where the manager is holding their weekly staff meeting because they're talking. Yes. And (laughs) you know how that goes. Right. The other thing that I have heard uh, very specifically from a friend who's a headhunter, a recruiter at the executive level, was that a number of CEOs have already identified members of even their direct team that have performed very differently in the post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it phrased as it really became clear who runs to the fire and who runs away from the fire. And CEOs are realizing that that is a difference maker and how then people show up when they run to the fire is another piece of it. Well, and that's what this whole leadership thing gets to. And I, I
0: have a, an example of someone I've worked with who runs away from the fire. And he was an incredibly successful person prior to this. So there's something about less structure, less certainty. I don't know what it is, and probably for different people it will be different things. But, yeah, the the image that comes to mind is hiding under the bed. Mm-hmm. I've experienced than...
1: that as well. I, I mean, I hearken back to 9-11. I was working mm-hmm. at Ford at 9-11, and I landed in London with all of my peers and my boss on the morning of 9-11. Oh, goodness. So we were in Europe trying to manage a 10,000-person IT organization remotely you know, from England at the time. Mm-hmm. And just watching how my peers processed it and mm-hmm. how they expressed their leadership was really, really interesting. And there was a very distinct difference. And I think we're seeing this repeat itself mm-hmm. in a different Type mm-hmm. of a crisis mm-hmm. this time around. And so, you know, it really struck me as an interesting way to approach this to use your leadership framework and go through kind of point by point and talk about, like, starting with the first one, what does professionally humble really mean in this mm-hmm. context? Because mm-hmm. uh, you pointed out in the intro, the context has shifted enough that the things that would have reflected accurately what professionally humble means prior to mm-hmm. covid may look different.
0: And you know, it's interesting because I said those who did well did well both in the office and out of the office. And to your point though, we are shifting behavior dramatically and for people who can't make that pivot, the transition is really difficult and at the senior executive level it's visible.
1: Yes, I when I think of professional humility when mm-hmm. you're when mm-hmm. you're working with a leader who is truly an expert in the context that you're operating mm-hmm. in. Professional humility to me looks like somebody who is not condescending about their expertise, right? Right, But also not ashamed of the fact that they have that expertise mm-hmm. and, and are happy mm-hmm. to use it to help you make good decisions in a short period of time. In this context, everybody knows perfectly well That nobody knows the answers Mm -hmm. for certain dimensions Mm -hmm. of what we're dealing with here. And so somebody coming in and acting like they confidently know the answers in a time like this will come across as disingenuous. It'll come across as unthoughtful. It'll come across as really tone deaf. Right. Because your people know you don't know Mm because we've never none of us has ever been in this situation before. So some humility around those dimensions Mm -hmm. that we're all going to be learning together plays to your authenticity, plays to your opportunity to Mm -hmm. learn.
0: You know, I think that is also interesting as we've traveled the time of the pandemic. So early on, we were just going home for a few weeks now that it's, I think, becoming clear to most people. We're really not going back to the old environment. Now, as a leader, I have to acknowledge I don't know and also acknowledge that I I can figure it out with the right people in the room. So it's not a, I'm clueless. Yes, we've never done a pandemic before, but I figured out a whole bunch of stuff.
1: It, I, I know how to learn. Yeah. And I want you to know that I'm going to be learning with you. And I think it means in, in that context – asking the second question right it's a humility around well you know i don't have a great answer to that question mm-hmm. i have a point of view on it what are you experiencing mm-hmm. okay. because that might inform what i ultimately conclude those sort of i think approaches demonstrate that humility but not a lack of and we'll get to this not mm-hmm. uh, you know not a, a, a lack <laughs> of desire for action Right. But there's a thoughtfulness that you wrap it in because the answer is not necessarily obvious and it may uh take iteration.
0: And back to your point, if it looks obvious, you're probably not very thoughtful. This is where the mind of the scientist comes in to me, that even the most brilliant executives don't have the answer, but they have a point of view and they know how to collaborate to pull those plans forward and test them. And the idea that we make the smallest decision that we can possibly make today, learn from that, and then make the smallest decision we can make tomorrow, and we continue to iterate and get smarter rather than the old world where I have to wait till I know the answer.
1: I think there's a process of enlisting that allows you to take bold action in a time like this without appearing to be domineering or, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or presumptive. Where you're in a context where everybody knows you're an expert Mm -hmm. and they're looking to you to make the call. You really don't need to enlist people in that moment. Mm -hmm. right? You know, if you're Mm -hmm. driving in a car with a with a professional race car driver and they're approaching a corner, they don't really ask you. You don't really think about I need to I need to be paying attention to how this person is going to drive the car. Mm -hmm. They're an expert. Right. But put them in an airplane. Right. And we're together. And now, you know, you'd want to have some enlistment going (laughs) on. Right. And so I think about it the same way is in this context, you might say, here's what I'm thinking about. And I'd like to act on Mm -hmm. this. Are you all in with me? Or what am I missing? Right. Well, you can start with the what am I missing? And if I am missing something, let me know what it is. But. Once we've kind of iterated through and, and you know, mm-hmm. then it's a matter of, okay, are we in this together? Let's try mm-hmm. – are we willing to do this together? And now you've enlisted people because they mm-hmm. feel ownership in yeah. the action with you.
0: And what's the duration of that I'm enlisted? Right. So for the next week or the next month, we're going to stay this course. We're going to learn what we can learn, and then we'll iterate. So Absolutely. it's not
1: I'm committed forever. Right. And then people feel ownership for the solution. hmm
0: That, for me – both in my own work and what I see with clients, has been really important. I'm not committing forever. I'm committing to this experiment for this period of time. And then we recalibrate.
1: Absolutely. We
0: are with Greg Moran and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about leadership during times of massive disruption. And specifically, Greg's experience As he's the COO of the company Aware and some of the tools they're using to help ensure employees are able to transition from office to home and stay productive and stay engaged. So both online tools and the leadership required to help people make those shifts, because what we're doing at home really is a bit of a pivot. So we talked about being professionally humble. The second of seven is unwavering commitment to right action.
1: Yeah. So as we talk about unwavering commitment to right action, I, you know, spending a lot of my career in IT, I've been in a lot of crisis situations. And if I've learned anything from dealing with, you know, massive IT outages at Ford, you know, we had a big power outage on the East Coast in the 2000s and it shut down the company for four days. And uh, shut it down on a global basis because took down our our main data center, et cetera. And I can tell you the worst thing you can do in a crisis is stand still. Mm-hmm. So this commitment to action is absolutely essential. You do have to be moving. You do have mm-hmm. to be making decisions. And by the mm-hmm. way, not all of them will be right. Right. But you bring together humility, curiosity, learning. Directionally
0: uh, correct action. Right. The mind
1: (laughs) of a scientist and then Mm -hmm. saying, "Okay, I've got enough. We're going to make a decision and we're going to try it. And then time box that, see Mm -hmm. where you stand, reassess and make another decision.
0: Well, and we talk about right action being based on the principles and the... Mission of the organization. So, to your point, we're going to learn every day, especially during things like a pandemic and whatever the next crisis is that organizations face. But we know if we're making decisions based on our principles, we will certainly be directionally slightly off. Kind of, you're a cyclist, it's the dynamic searing. Mm-hmm. If you hold your bicycle, completely straight, you fall off. Mm -hmm. You're constantly course correcting, same with driving a car. This, to me, the unwavering commitment to right action is, of course, I'm doing minor course corrections, but I know my mission and I know who I am and what I stand for. And with those as my guide, I will be making generally decent decisions.
1: Yes. in this particular crisis, I do think it's a crisis. It's not, I, you know, that word is a dangerous word because mm-hmm. I think people yeah. interpret it their own way. But it certainly is a disruption, a massive mm-hmm. disruption. Fair and it has had it's been combined with simultaneous other disruptions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like social unrest surrounding Mm -hmm. uh, police brutality and translating that into then the potential discussion around racism Mm -hmm. there's a lot seething in our society Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now and there's intersectionality between these things oh yeah if you're running a large police organization you've got a double whammy going on right now, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Maybe a triple whammy going on right now, right? And if you're in a big retail organization, some retail organizations, this is a big win for. Mm -hmm. And they're dealing with a completely different type of problem than other retail organizations for whom this has created a vacuum.
0: Yeah. The number of bankruptcies we've seen in the retail space is significant.
1: And companies like auto parts stores like Home Depot I was going to say Lowe's they're killing large. it yeah they're killing it right now obviously Amazon's mm-hmm. doing very well mm-hmm. So not just mail order though. Some storefronts, like you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people are taking this time to do projects on their home on their home. And mm-hmm. you know, go go try and buy a tool at Home Depot right now. There's not many on in stock. Yeah, I spend a bit of time at Lowe's, so I I
0: do <laughs> know though. Well, and I I hear executives saying, my people can't be that busy if the sales at Lowe's are this high. And I realize it's a it's that's
1: easy. not a reasonable. Right. And it's easy to forget that people in a lot of cities have been given back, you know, three to four hours a day minimum Mm -hmm. of time that's Mm -hmm. now available to them that they could spend on work. But some of them are spending some of that time, at least, on projects around the house. Mm -hmm. Gardening. Right. If you don't have to get up, shower, put your makeup on, you know, drive
0: an, hour, drive and a an half.
1: hour into the office, you know, go to Starbucks, get the coffee, blah, 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 mm-hmm. all the things you've got a yeah. lot of time back. Yeah. And uh, I think people are, are taking advantage of that. and mm-hmm. And also, it just helps you feel like you're making a difference, right? You're doing something worthwhile. But my point was that you're seeing a ton of cross impacts. And so there's a lot to be absorbed Mm -hmm. here. And Mm -hmm. that's really a great transition to your next framework, which is a 360 degree thinker. Really looking systemically at all the impacts that are occurring inside of your organization simultaneously, I think, is required Mm
0: -hmm. if you want
1: to be thoughtful about defining the right actions that you want to take. We've agreed standing still Mm -hmm. is not the answer.
0: Well, and as we look at things like social unrest and racial equality, for most of us, that means really rethinking and examining ourselves. I didn't think I did anything that was racially in, inappropriate, but as I look at some of my behaviors, I have this a similar implicit bias to what others do, and I really need to rethink. And that ripples through the decisions I make across many vectors. And that's just one thing I'm thinking about. The working from anywhere, how do I navigate speaking at conferences? How am I pricing my time? These disruptions that are intertwined right now, at least for me. And so there is no single thread that I can pull that doesn't unravel a bunch of other stuff.
1: Absolutely. And I think we've talked together about diversity in the mm-hmm. past and mm-hmm. this is a clear example of where you know running to diversity will help you as a leader and i mean big d diversity mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. in every sense of the word right really think about what it would be like for somebody in a work from home world or a work from anywhere mm-hmm. world that has a different personality type than you and go talk to them about it mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. a leader you're going to be dealing with people with different personalities than yours and mm-hmm. seek out the opportunity to if you're an extrovert, talk to one of mm-hmm. you know, one of your peers or one of your team that's a profound introvert mm-hmm. and really see if you can, you know, one on one, because they, they're not gonna want to do it in public. <laughs> they're an introvert. Right. Get inside their head somewhat and see mm-hmm. how they're processing this experience for themselves and what's working for them and what's not by the same token as you were just alluding to when you think of the situation we have around the social unrest and what it means in terms of social justice and mm. and potential you know racism in our country we now have the permission to ask questions that we probably would have been frowned on for mm. asking 6 months ago why wouldn't we take advantage of that you now have mm. an opportunity Uh, regardless of what your particular uh, race is, to Mm -hmm. ask questions of people that are different than you that you wouldn't have been able to appropriately ask even a few months ago. And I think that's an opportunity for learning.
0: You know, for me, one of the things that's been interesting is who is willing to give me feedback. And so I ask for and expect someone who's close to me, not a passerby on the street, to, if I say something that is racially tone deaf, to say, that required at that moment? Why'd you do that? I mean, not in a way that smacked me upside the head, but to help me become more aware. And so the idea, and we'll get into collaboration later, but that each of us are trying to learn, or many of us are trying to learn, I realize not everyone, and to extend grace to those of us who do it poorly and to have the courage to give feedback which i realize takes a lot of courage unless you're invited and even still it takes a lot of courage but all of that shapes our thinking
1: i do think it's really important for leaders at this time to set a context that allows people to learn mm-hmm. i think the the concept of the cancel culture and dredging up somebody's you know statements from 10 years ago is really rarely going to be helpful to Mm -hmm. the problem. Mm -hmm. First of all, we should start with the assumption that if people sincerely express the desire to change and learn,
0: we should take them at their
1: work and give them the opportunity to do so. So Mm -hmm. I think having leaders set a context that says, we're going to start with the premise that everybody can and will and wants to learn. When Mm -hmm. we find people that don't, we'll handle that appropriately. Mm -hmm. But our position as a company, as an organization, as a team— is that we want to grow together. And that means learning, that means Mm -hmm. grace, that means forgiveness, that means we give opportunity to people Mm -hmm. to expand, to grow and to learn.
0: Which is our next topic is intellectually versatile and you've just described that as we are learning beyond our traditional lane. So if I think of the area where I was previously an expert that's insufficient now. I believe that I need to understand more about social justice. That wasn't my lane. I may not need to be an expert in it, but I need to know more than I did. I need to understand more about healthcare. I may never be an expert in that space, but all of these are interconnected. And back to the 360-degree thinker, I can't make good decisions if I don't expand my aperture,
1: Absolutely. And and intellectual versatility is something that has to be, I think, expressly tapped into, you know, leaders, to some degree, there's a good leaders, there's a pattern around intellectual mm-hmm. versatility, they've often done more than one thing, right? Mm-hmm. They've, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I always talk about the value of having proven that you can go deep in a content area, Mm -hmm. right, gives me the confidence when I'm evaluating you that you could go deep in another one, Mm -hmm. right? And because you've proved you know how to learn and that you're disciplined and you have some characteristics Mm -hmm. that are likely to make you successful regardless of the hat we put on you Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. for a given role. However, there is, I think, a natural human tendency to kind of be lazy intellectually. Like if you're winning you tend to assume that you don't need to be as intellectually versatile as, mm-hmm. you, as you needed to be to get into the position of winning. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to your point, this is the time to exercise that and be intentional and say, you know, I'm tapping into the assumption that there's a lot of things I don't know. And mm-hmm. I'm going to put that part of my intellectual versatility that's all about learning into full exercise mode.
0: Well, and and this is, I think, could also be called the growth mindset. At this point in time, there's a lot all of us need to know, and we started with the work from home. How do we how or work from anywhere? How do we as leaders think about ensuring our people are engaged, ensuring that the tools they need, ensuring they're productive? If any of us thinks we know everything that needs to be known, in this environment. We are missing the opportunity to really expand our thinking.
1: And I'd go further with that and say we need to explore new ways of learning. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. don't think we fully understand how much learning we gave up when we all walked out the door that last day and went home. Say more about that. So, the interaction that we have with people mm. at the okay. office, the human interaction, mm. the face to face interaction, mm-hmm there's a huge amount of learning that goes on in that and the mm-hmm. learning's not just content there's a lot of that mm-hmm. right where you're just like hey joe or steve or susan mm-hmm. or or you know whoever what can you tell me about this mm-hmm. and it might be a 30 second interchange but you get this one nugget right mm-hmm. that's valuable mm-hmm. to you what are the ways we're transferring information now right mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. it isn't the same as passing somebody in the hallway Right. So there's a formality to how we're interacting mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. each other right now that may be taking away a lot of that informal opportunity to learn or it's moving to other modes in media that you may need to be engaged with. As mm-hmm. I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got, you know, huge increases in collaboration messaging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of content in that. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I've worked with a couple organizations that use Slack, and it it is the primary mode of communication other than video conferencing. And to your point, a lot of us can't do another 12-hour day of videos. The asynchronous is also a
1: really valuable way to connect. Absolutely, and it can happen at the same time. So be exploring mm-hmm. different ways to learn. Beautiful.
0: I would invite our listeners What ways are you using to learn and stay in touch with your teams during this point in time where it's, for most of us, not face-to-face? You're with Maureen Metcalf and Greg Moran, and we are talking about the leadership framework of both mindsets and behaviors that move us from the way most of us succeeded in life by being expert in our field and in the field of leadership Toward not being an expert, taking on more the mind of a scientist and using that as our expertise to figure out the problems that we are facing. Well, also, much of the work we've done has, does remain constant. Much of our core mission has remained constant, and yet how we accomplish it has changed. So, the next topic is highly authentic and reflective. And for me, that's one that is just so foundational. That as leaders specifically, we must always be thinking about what we're trying to accomplish and being authentic with ourselves. Am I doing what I believe I should at my best level? And if not, how am I course correcting myself? Because not only am I course correcting the company, I'm course correcting how effective I am at leading the people who count on me.
1: Yeah. So I think, first of all, I agree with you. Authenticity starts with being authentically yourself. And honestly, I reflect on my career and I can think of at least a handful of relatively successful leaders who were also not themselves. And it Mm -hmm. ultimately, I think, it it took a huge toll on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The level of effort it takes to maintain an avatar of yourself Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's not actually you. And probably most of us have done that at points in time. For brief periods. Yeah. But it's, it, it's not sure. a sustainable leadership mm-hmm. model. And so I agree with your advice. Start with yourself and make sure you're being honest with yourself in the situation you're in. And then I think it's about letting that shine through, mm-hmm. recognizing that the tools you have available for that to shine through are now different. And they are meaningfully different. Mm -hmm. Expressing empathy in person where you have access to Mm -hmm. your full body language, Mm -hmm. to your full range of emotions, and those emotions come through in the millisecond that you're Mm -hmm. talking to Mm -hmm. somebody does not translate to a Zoom call, which is close to real time, but it's not real time. That millisecond makes a difference. And you're not seeing that expression on somebody's Mm -hmm. face in time for you to really have it translate fully into an authentic experience. Plus, it's an image. You're not seeing the emotion come through mm-hmm. in somebody's eyes. You're not feeling the, you know, it's feeling the, the emotion in their voice because mm-hmm. it's being electronically transferred. And it is not the same thing. You've also lost 90% of body language. Mm-hmm right? We've all gotten used to the weird Zoom wave where you hold your hand up in the air (laughs) next to your head and wave to somebody. That's not how we would normally do that. And it doesn't have Mm -hmm. the warmth of of how we would normally, you know, sign off with somebody Mm -hmm. or sign on with somebody. And so I would challenge people to really think through what do you need to do to expose that authentic you Mm -hmm. in the context that you're now operating, just like What happens in a one-on-one conversation Mm -hmm. doesn't translate well to speaking on stage in front of 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn how to express yourself on stage in the same way to people, which looks Mm -hmm. mechanically very different Mm -hmm. than if you were just having a one-on-one conversation. Hand gestures in a one-on-one situation are really small. When you're on stage, they have to be huge or the audience doesn't even see them. It's very similar to that kind of translation where we're using different modes in media. Mm-hmm. And think about the written word. We've got direct messaging up by, you know, tripling almost mm-hmm. in in the workplace, right? This is not email. This is like texting. Mm-hmm. What does that look like and how can you be authentic in that context and appropriate as a leader?
0: Yeah, I was going to say the authentic and appropriate is an interesting combination. Let's hit one more on this and then go to the next What do you do to convey who you are authentically in a work physically separate from people environment?
1: Yeah. So uh, one of the things I've done is really uh, increase the frequency of of one-on-one meetings that I do with people on our team. And I've done that very specifically to give them Mm -hmm. more time, give us more time Mm -hmm. to really connect as individuals, which is Mm -hmm. harder to do uh, when you don't get that five-minute interaction at the office Mm -hmm. where you can just sit at the lunch table with somebody and say hi. Uh, The second thing I do is start all of those meetings by talking about stuff that's not Mm work-related. Let's start this meeting by talking about you and how you're doing. And then I authentically talk about how I'm doing and what's Mm -hmm. going on in my life. So there's this sense of this still we're both in the human experience. We're Mm -hmm. not just TV personalities on different Mm -hmm. planets interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. right? And so I've gotten a lot of feedback that that's really helpful to people and Mm -hmm. has, I think, Helped maintain that authentic connection that's so easy to do in the office when you can just walk up to somebody's desk with their favorite drink and go, hey, mm-hmm. I got you a Coke and a you mm-hmm. know, hey, cup how- of coffee. Yeah. How's your day going? Right. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you actually build time in it. And it's and it is a, it, it feels like overhead at first. Like you've added mm-hmm. work to your day. And, and to some degree you have because the work of leadership has changed in this context.
0: The question I like is not just how are you doing, but how are you being? Mm-hmm. How are you showing up authentically, genuinely? What do you share? It's different.
1: I share differently now. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that pattern. And mm-hmm. I think giving people permission to even talk about it mm-hmm. is a piece of this story, mm-hmm. right? Just saying like, it is okay. For Mm -hmm. you to talk about what's stressful for you in this Mm -hmm. environment, right?
0: Within reason, in a
1: professional environment. But it's required. Absolutely. It actually goes really well to the Mm -hmm. next one, which is about inspiring followership and how you really have to amplify your efforts on engagement. A lot of what I was just talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. is engagement, right? Mm -hmm. And it does mean that you may have to reprioritize your time. And you may have to delegate different things than you were delegating before mm-hmm. and take on some different things yeah. than you were taking on before because the context has shifted. And so I think being thoughtful about that, as I said, do a lot more one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Don't rely on, on peer pressure in your organization to get people to come along on the ride with you. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be more explicit. I think peer pressure is harder to engender inside of a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Mm -hmm. there is isolation. It's kind of like it's a it's a hopefully less dangerous version of that human phenomenon that we see like in road rage Mm. where, you know, somebody feels completely empowered to drive like a maniac, scream at other drivers in their car. Right. Mm -hmm. Simply because they're isolated from them. Well, there's a little bit of isolation here and people feel empowered in that scenario, right? It's just like you see on social media. I can say whatever I want to on social media. You don't even know what country I'm in, right? And so we do have to watch for that because mm-hmm. I think people are, to some degree, feeling more independent in this mm-hmm. environment. And and so inspiring fellowship means deeper engagement, right?
0: Yeah. And again, it's the deeper questions. It, it is how do we really build a deep sense of both independence, I'm working from home. And I have a lot of things that have to be done now that I didn't have to do when I was in the office, like taking care of either parents or children. And yet, how do I feel that deep sense of connection that work has filled or the sense of working on an important mission that reminding people this is the impact. This is what our clients are experiencing because of our work coming back to, I finished my tasks, but let's talk about the people that those tasks impacted and how did it improve their lives to accomplish something that they fundamentally require from us.
1: Absolutely. And, and the work of senior leadership, particularly in a larger organization, is rarely the work that gets done in your organization, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because if we're honest, you know, when I was a CIO of a 5,000-person organization, I was irrelevant to the day-to-day work. But That you wasn't my job hired
0: for Right.
1: And mm-hmm. that focus on what do we do for the organization that enables it to do what it's supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. whether it's serving mm-hmm. customers, writing software, you know whatever mm-hmm. it might be, right? That work has changed, and we need to embrace that change, and it may require a prioritization. And I think that leads really nicely into the last one, which is about innately collaborative. Right. And that's really what we're talking about Mm -hmm, here. And mm -hmm. I think that's going to be about being flexible in the modes and media that you're engaging with your team in. Right.
0: And we talked about this as we started the conversation that some of our work is dramatically different and some is relatively unchanged. And we need to, as leaders, figure out what we need to change. And back to the scientist, who do I work with? to ensure that that we are changing appropriately so that our businesses or our organizations can meet their missions and serve their clients.
1: Yes, and I think it's important for leaders to embrace the reality of the change and be a sponsor, be an experimenter, Mm -hmm. be a Mm -hmm. model. Yeah. Have your team recognize that you aren't the person looking in the rearview mirror saying, Mm -hmm. boy, I wish it would go back to the way it was. Yeah. Be the leader that says it's not the way it was. I feel like we're using, you know, teams a lot and, you know, create a working group on teams and be a model for how you can use teams effectively to collaborate.
0: You know, one of the things that's really inspiring to me right now is is the John Lennon song, Imagine. For many of us. There are things that have needed to change in our environments, whether it's how school is run or parts about how business is operated or how healthcare is delivered, that the disruption lasting long enough unplugs us from some of the old paradigms that really could benefit from shifting. What can we create in our world right now that makes lives significantly better? I think, yes, we, people are suffering in a major way, and yet how do we use all of that as a springboard to create something that is much better for many people?
1: Couldn't agree more, and, and, and sadly, every market disruption of any kind does not equally impact the populace, but over time we can use mm-hmm. them as springboards mm-hmm. to learning and improvement
0: and i I agree that our financially lower income people, economically disadvantaged, racially disadvantaged people are bearing the burden of much of this because they don't get to work from home. They don't get to stay safe.
1: It's absolutely true. It's uh you know, commuting is now a tax on the on the lower half of the economic spectrum in the United mm-hmm. States because mm-hmm. yeah, the upper half isn't commuting.
0: So thank you for bringing that back as a reminder. As we wrap up, this is Greg Moran. Tell people, please, how to get in touch with AWARE, how to get in touch with you, and a short synopsis of you and the organization.
1: Yeah, so uh, AWARE uh, can be found at, uh, on the web at awarehq.com, and we provide a set of software tools that run in the cloud alongside your collaboration environment. and. It allows companies to enable collaboration broadly in their organization, even with regulated users. So think healthcare with HIPAA or banking or insurance, Mm -hmm. those types of companies. We allow you to deploy to even the most regulated employees because we give you a set of compliance tools that let you stay compliant. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, we give your organization tools to help manage the community in a more effective way, whether it's simple things like protecting people from harassment and the obvious things Mm -hmm. you would – you would want to avoid in an organization like discrimination to much more insightful things like overall employee sentiment and engagement. Mm
0: -hmm. Wonderful. And spell your name. People want to connect with you on LinkedIn.
1: It's Greg Moran, M-O-R-A-N. And uh, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of AWARE. And it's pretty easy to find me on LinkedIn using that information. Thank you very much. And it's been an honor to be here.
0: Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope that you have heard at least one thing from the conversation between Greg and I that you can put into practice in your life immediately, knowing that we are in a disruptive time and we need to move into action quickly. Thank you for engaging with us and for the important work that you're doing in your lives to move our society forward, to keep people safe, and to create a future that we all want to live in. We look forward to joining you again soon.